Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. We are so glad that you are here this morning. If I have not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here and I'm excited that you guys are here this morning. You know, back when uh, we lived in Michigan, we had a giant beehive that was off the side of our house. I mean, it was, it was massive. It was gigantic, all right? And it was just off the side of our house, hanging over the front of our garage. And Shana, my wife, uh, was starting to get nervous about this beehive, getting nervous about the kids, maybe getting stung by it. And so I decided, okay, now it's time to finally take care of the beehive. So I go into my garage. I get a basketball I walk about halfway down my driveway, I eye up the beehive, I launch back and throw it as hard as I possibly can, and wham, direct hit. I mean, this is like straight out of Dude Perfect, just smoked that thing, and in slow motion, the beehive begins to fall, hits the garage, and begins to roll right at me. And in that moment, I run like a little junior high girl into the garage as fast as I can, hit the button to the garage door, run inside, go over to the side door by our garage, and peek out the window and watch this massive beehive drop. And all of a sudden, there is a swarm of bees. I have really ticked them off good. And at that point, I realized, okay, that was probably not the smartest decision I've ever made. Because now that beehive has dropped right in front of the door. And now I realize that I am trapped. My whole family is now being held hostage by this beehive, and it's all my fault. Have you ever been there? Have you ever made a decision like that? You're like, I think this is going to be a good decision. And then it kind of like blows up in your face. It compounds. It turns into something even bigger or worse. I mean, I had, a, I had a big problem, and I had the special ability to make it 10 times worse. Did you know that on average, we make 35,000 decisions every single day? <laughs> that's a lot of decisions. Now, hopefully, you sleep somewhere around seven hours. If that's you, you make roughly 2,000 decisions an hour. That's a decision every two seconds. And in those moments, I made a handful of really, really bad decisions. Have you been there? Everybody has been there, right? We, we've made those decisions. We wish we could take them back. And our life is shaped by those 35,000 decisions. And what it would be nice, wouldn't it be nice if life gave you a roadmap to making better decisions? That would be great, right? What if there was a, a GPS system that could actually help us make better decisions? So how do we make decisions that lead us to freedom and not slavery. Because there I was. I was trapped. Our family was being held hostage. We couldn't go anywhere without interfering with all of those bees. And so that's the question we're going to wrestle with today. How do we make decisions that lead to freedom and not slavery? If you have your Bibles, go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, while you're going to Psalm 119, I'm going to go to John. I will meet you in Psalm 119. 
while you're turning to Psalm 119, let me set the stage with a couple of verses out of John. John is, is uh, the gospel and talking about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's explaining, one day I'm going to die. I'm going to come back. I'm going to go. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the disciples, they're kind of freaking out. They're a little nervous about this. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to come back. And you guys know the way. And as Jesus is talking, Thomas is like, hold up. The way? Like, what way? We don't, we don't know the way. And Jesus says this. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I'm the way. It's not that there is any other way. I am the truth. It's not that Jesus knew the truth. It's not that Jesus was aware of the truth. Jesus is saying, I am the truth. Not that I just know the truth. I am the truth. And a couple chapters earlier in chapter 8, Jesus says this. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You want freedom? You want to make better decisions that lead to freedom? It comes through Christ. And he embodies all of that truth. He is the supreme truth for our lives. And so how do we make decisions that are going to lead to freedom and not slavery, it's going to be through God's word. Here's what I hope you see today, that following God's word leads to a life of freedom. That following God's word leads to a life of freedom and not slavery. And so that's where we pick up in Psalm 119. This is the longest psalm in the Bible, 176 verses. I'm not planning on reading all of them today. You can thank me later, all right? But this is a deep dive on God's word. The author of this psalm has been really struggling. People have been ridiculing him, persecuting him, trying to get him to give up on his faith. And he says, you know what? All of these people tried to tear me down, and I found hope and comfort in God's word. And that's where he begins to unpack all of this. Psalm 119, verse 1. It says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. So the psalmist is saying, hey, if you really want to be blessed, the way to be blessed the way to be happy is to begin to center your life around God's word, which is so counterculture, isn't it? I mean, the world is telling you, if you want to be happy, you do you. If you want to be happy, follow your heart. If you want to be happy, do whatever it is that makes you happy. Chase after those things. But God's word says it's a blessing to live your life centered around God's word. God's word is like a telescope, right? If, if you look at a telescope, give me a telescope. Boom. If you look at a telescope, that's all you see, right, is the telescope. But if you 
have a telescope and you have the ability to look through the telescope, you can see some incredible things. If you look at a telescope and you point it up at the sky at night, you can see so many incredible things in our galaxy. You can see stars and planets, and it will blow your mind because you begin to see things through the telescope. God's word is a telescope. If you just look at the Bible, it won't change your life. But if you begin to look through God's word and you begin to see God through this, he will begin to draw you closer to him. You want to be closer to God? It's spending time in his word. The psalmist says, it is blessed. Happy is the person who begins to center their life around God's word. And so here's the first benefit of doing that. You'll be blessed when you order your life around God's word. That's a benefit. That's a benefit that I want you to have. It doesn't mean that everything will go your way. It doesn't mean that you're going to have lots of money, you're going to drive a fancy car, you're going to get that promotion you want. It doesn't mean those things at all. Those things might happen. But what God is saying is that you'll be blessed. Somehow, some way, it is better to center your, around, center your life around the word of God than anything else. But here's another benefit. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? He says, by living according to your word. So you're struggling with purity. You're struggling with making the right decisions. You're struggling with, with what's right, what's wrong. There's these temptations that keep showing up over and over and over again. The psalmist says, how do you do this? How do you course correct by living according to your word? That sounds really easy, but doing it is hard. But that means I've got to start reading God's word if I want to know what it says. I've got to start reading God's word. I've got to start applying it to my life. I've got to start doing it. I've got to start living it out by living, living, not just showing up on Sunday morning. If this is your only meal once a week, you're going to struggle. But if you start reading God's word or you start getting into the, the version app, and you start listening to God's word, or you start centering your life, you start living according to the word, you're going to have a lot more victory when it comes to purity. You're going to have a lot more victory when you begin to implement it into your life. Every Sunday, I, I try to do my best to say, okay, here's what God's word says. Here's how you apply it. And then it's your job. It's my job to go, okay, here's what I need to do. Now I need to actually implement it. I've got to do something today. I've got to do something this week. James says, you know, it's like a man who looks in the mirror, sees what needs to change, and walks away and does nothing. He's like, he's a fool, right? It's, it's easy to say, here's the application. It's really hard to say, okay, now I've got to start doing it. I've got to live according to the word. So here's the next benefit. God's word will help you stay pure. It could be sexual purity. It could just be, hey, I just want to be like Jesus. How do I do that? I live according to God's word. The next verse kind of hits on the same theme. Look at verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. I'm hiding God's word in my heart. I believe that word heart in the Bible, in the Old Testament, New Testament, is referring to our thinking, our affections, and our choices. And the psalmist is saying, I'm hiding God's word in my thinking. I'm storing it in my affections. I'm allowing it to just permeate all of my choices. It's kind of like when you go to the grocery store. You go to the grocery store, you come back home, you bring, on, bring in all the groceries, and you dump them probably where I dump them, right in the kitchen, right? And then how many of you immediately start eating everything you just purchased? Maybe the Snickers bar you bought on the way home. But outside of that, if you're me, I'm putting the, the frozen foods in the freezer. I'm putting the other cold foods in the refrigerator. I'm putting other foods in the cabinets or the pantry because later that day or later that week, I'm going to want to access it. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I'm storing God's word. I'm hiding it away so that I can use it, so I can access it later. So next week or later today, when this big, ugly, nasty temptation gets all up in your face and wants to take you down, you have an option. <laughs> do, I, do I go to God's word, which hopefully I've stored away in my heart, or do I fight empty-handed? Hopefully, if I begin to store God's word in my heart, I start thinking about it, reading about it. I have a weapon. It's like going to battle. If you have a sword, that doesn't make you a great warrior. If you can't find that sword, it doesn't mean anything. If you don't know how to use that sword, it is useless. And here you have an incredible sword. The psalmist says, I store this. I hide it away in my heart so that when I need it, I can reach out and I can access it. So the benefit, storing God's word in my heart, it gives me a way to fight sin. The next benefit is, is pretty similar. It's verse 24. Verse 24 says this, your statutes or your law or your word, it's my delight. They are my counselors. I don't know if you know this, but everybody that you interact with is offering you counsel. Whether you like it or not, like it or not. When I read this verse, the first question I began to ask myself is, Tim, who are your counselors? Because intentionally or inadvertently, every single relationship that you have, every single person in your life is giving you counsel. The question is, what kind of counsel are they giving you? Are they giving you godly counsel? Are they giving you worldly counsel? Are they giving you their own advice? I believe that God created all of us to receive counsel. He put Adam and Eve in the garden, and then he entered into their life, and he began to speak truth into their life, telling them who they were and what they were supposed to do. God was giving them counsel. And everywhere you go, you are receiving counsel. So who's your counselors? Who are you listening to? Culture is always providing counsel. If you are on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, 
all of those platforms are giving you counsel. Who are you listening to? Even if you're not on those platforms, the books you read, the magazines, the shows, the movies, the music, all of those, the talk radio, all of that is giving you counsel. So who has your ear? Who are you really listening to this week? Is it the news? Who has your ear? Is it a specific political party? Who has your ear? Is it a, a talk show? Is it a talk radio? Is it your favorite influencer? Who has your ear? Is it a podcast that you just absolutely love? Is it the popular kid at school? Is it the team captain? Is it your boss? Just because your boss has the ability to influence that promotion doesn't mean you should let them influence your life. So who has your ear? Who are you listening to? Because I know this. Whoever I begin to listen to, that is who I am trusting. And when I begin to listen to that person, when I begin to listen to those resources, when I begin to listen to those counselors, it's building my faith in someone or something. The question is, what kind of faith is it building? Over the last seven days, what percentage would you say of those counselors have given you the ability to increase your faith in Christ? What percentage of those counselors have helped you become more like Jesus? Because they're giving you counsel. And whoever you listen to, they begin to influence and control your life. They begin to control what you believe. Culture says, follow your heart. You do you. Just make your own life. Chase after what you want. But culture is trying to manipulate and change and, and force you into this mold of what they believe is right. But God's word, God's word ought to be my highest counselor. Here's the benefit. God's word gives me wise counsel. It gives me wise counselor. So let me ask you this. Whose counsel are you listening to? But not only does God's word give us wise counsel, it also does something for my soul. Look at verse 28. My soul is weary with sorrow. The psalmist is discouraged. He's depressed. He's overwhelmed. He is just in this time of sleepless depression. He is weary with sorrow. He says, strengthen me according to your word. He goes to God's word for strength. The Psalms are my favorite place to go, hands down. When I'm overwhelmed, when I'm discouraged, when I feel like I'm on the brink of depression, when I'm overwhelmed, when I feel like life is just daunting, I go to the Psalms because it's like reading someone's journal or someone's diary and they're just they're really raw with how life is and they're, they're wrestling with life. You see David crying out to God saying, God, how much longer? God, how much longer do I have to feel like this? God, I feel like the waves are crashing over me. I feel like I'm drowning. And then in the end of the psalm, it says, okay, this is what I did. I trusted in God. I found my strength in God. 
But look at verse 29. He says, keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. You need strength. You need encouragement. You need hope. It comes from God's word. So he recognizes God's word strengthens us and keeps us from deceit. So here's the next benefit. God's word strengthens me when I'm discouraged and it keeps me from deceit. Moving on, here's what it says. It also tells it's kind of like an anchor in our lives. Look at verse 41. Verse 41 says this, May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. 42. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Verse 43. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. He's recognizing God's love will never fail. It will never give up. There is so much hope in his love. That's where we find our hope. He, he knows us. He cares about us. And he will continue to love you. And he's recognizing I am anchoring myself in God and his word. Here's the next benefit. God's word's an anchor. You better be anchored to something. Anchor yourself to God. Anchor yourself to his word. It is so incredibly important. It's incredibly valuable too. Look at verse 72. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. That's an incredible statement. I mean, if you're sitting here and you're going, silver, gold, like thousands of pieces, or a copy of God's word, I'm not sure I want to ask which one you might choose. But let me ask you this. If today... I offered you, and I actually had the resources to do this, to offer everybody $1,000 per verse you memorized over the next week, what would you do? How many verses would you come in memorized? One verse, you can buy a new iPhone. A handful of verses, you can upgrade your car. A bunch of verses, you can walk out with a brand new car. Get your family together. Memorize some verses, you could upgrade your house. What would you do? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? God's word is more valuable, more precious than silver or gold. It's incredible. If we were forced to, if we're like, okay, there's money on the line, I can memorize this. I'm not very good at memorizing, but money is on the line. I'm going to pick Jesus wept, right? We're going to win after the easy one. But look, if God's word ought to be my counselor, if God's word ought to be the one thing that strengthens me, that anchors me, do I see it as valuable? And do I really believe it? It is valuable. But so many times, I don't really view it that way. But not only is it valuable, look at this. 105 says this. Your word is a lamp for my feet 
a light on my path. It's really cool that God's word will illuminate your path. Can I just ask that we just turn the lights off for a minute? I mean, if you have to go to the bathroom, this is not the good time to go. But God's word is a light. It's like a lamp. It's like a lantern. It will illuminate my path. Now, if, if all of a sudden, if all the lights and all the building were off, and I decided I wanted to run out of here, out of that front door, as fast as I possibly could, there's a good chance I'm going to trip over you, I'm going to run into you, I'm going to hit a wall, I'm going to fall. It's not going to be a great idea. But if I use this light, I can see the next step, and then I can see the very next step. And the very next step. I can't see the whole path out of here. But what I can see is what is next. And then what is next. As we go through life, we want to see the whole path. We want to know what the next five years hold. What the next ten years hold. Some of you are in the midst of this crazy darkness. And all you want is to see the light at the end of the tunnel. God's word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. One of the things we need to learn is God's word will show me the very next step. Right now, I just need to do the next right thing and then the next right thing. Trying to focus on the whole picture, trying to get the next 10 years gives me so much anxiety. I can't figure all of that out. But if you begin to read God's word and you begin to apply it and implement it and go, okay, God, I'm reading your word. Show me the next right thing and the next right thing over a year, five years, a decade. One day you're going to wake up and you're going to realize you're a completely different person. And it's been one step at a time. That's how God's word works. We can bring the lights up in case someone needs to use the bathroom safely. We have an incredible light. It illuminates our life. Here's the benefit. God's word is a flashlight. Yet we want to walk around and stumble in the darkness, stepping on Legos, banging our shins into furniture, just fumbling around. And here, you have an incredible light that will illuminate your path. What's the next right thing? What's the next step? And take that next step and the next one. But notice what he says in verse 133. This is pretty similar. He says, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Man, sin is a cruel master. It wants to trap you. It wants to ruin and run your life. It's like me sitting on the inside of my house looking out that window. I felt trapped. I felt like I was being held hostage by a bee's nest of my own doing. Sin will absolutely destroy us if we let it but god's word is a lamp god's word will also direct my footsteps 
Here's the benefit. God's word will direct my feet and set me free. You want to be able to choose freedom over slavery? It's following God's word. You want to be able to make decisions that lead to freedom? It's making God that lamp. It's allowing God's word to be my counselor. See, following God's word leads to a life of freedom. It's incredible. So there I am, and I'm staring out my window looking at these bees. They're just swarming up. They are so mad. And I decide, I have made this mess. I've got to figure out a way out. It's time to take action. They're not going to sleep anytime. They're not going away anytime soon. So I go back out into the garage, open up the garage door, and I grab a 45-pound bumper plate, one of those big rubber plates that you put on a barbell about the size of a tire. And I just, I just walk over there. I'm just like, boom. And I get like three-quarters of that beehive. And then I run in the garage. I grab a 25-pound plate, and boom, beehive is done. They're still a little mad, but they are absolutely taken out. You see, learning something only matters when it changes you. We know a lot of the things that God's word says to do. But if we don't allow it to change us, what good is it? God's word is an incredible counselor. It's a light it's a lamp. It directs us. It strengthens us. It anchors us. It will lead to a life that is blessed and happy. It is absolutely incredible. But we've got to spend a little bit of time reading it. We've got to spend a little bit of time trying to understand it. We've got to spend some time applying it and implementing it and saying, okay, this week, based on what God's word says, I'm going to try to do this. If you just show up once a week and you say, well, I'm just going to do church once a week, that's it, and I never do anything the other six days a week, it doesn't help me. So here's what. Number one, this week, go dark. Unplug from those bad counselors. Whatever, wherever you're getting your counsel from, whether it's the news, social media, talk radio, Wherever it is that you're getting it from, the podcast, the songs, whatever it is, if you are finding yourself consumed with bad counselors, unplug. Go dark this week, like totally fast from it. By fast, I'm not talking about like, like dieting. I'm just saying like, okay, I'm not going to be on this, this, and this. I'm going to completely remove myself for a week. Maybe it's the gossip at work. Maybe it's the podcast. Maybe it's the movies. Maybe it's the shows that I like to watch. Completely unplug. Number two, I want you to write out Psalm 119 verses 1 through 11. I want you to write it out by hand. I don't want you to type it out. I want you to write it out. Because a lot of educators have made the observation that when students begin to write things out, they retain it better than just hearing it or seeing it. I'm not saying there is no value to hearing or seeing, but when you begin to write it out and you, it slows you down, 
And here's something really interesting. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, God instructs the kings of Israel to write out their own copy of the law by hand. I mean, a king could have had anybody write it out. God says, I want you to write it out. It will slow you down. It will help you meditate on it. And it will become a lamp to your feet, directing your steps. It will help you order your entire life around God's word. So those are two things. Unplug and plug in. What you listen to will affect your destination. If you want to follow God's word, it will lead to freedom. And I just want to show you a short clip about what that looks like from a small group perspective. Take a look. I got connected to a small group when I first started at Bridgewater in Montrose, probably about 10 years ago. Honestly, I went there because my kids were going to Voyager and I didn't want to drive all the way back home. At first, I didn't have much interest, but quickly learned to really like the small group and lean on the people in it and started even going when the boys didn't go to Voyager. I would say right from the start, I, uh, I was aware that it felt very warm when I was there, very friendly, and I wanted to be a part of that. I made some good friends. Two of my best friends are people I met in my very first small group. They were there for me when I have bad times, and likewise, I was there for them when they have bad times. Uh, I'd say that's the, the depth of my growth uh, spiritually has been through small group. It's a good chance to apply what we learn and to put it into practice on a day-to-day -day basis. As we all go through life, it's nice to see other people. Not that I want them to struggle, but I'm not alone going through the same struggles uh, that they are. So it's good to have someone to stand by when you need them. I would say in my life, I've got lots of people that I would call friends or they would call me their friends. But they're not the ones that are going to point it out when I'm going the wrong direction. They're, they're not the ones that are going to pull me back in when I'm making some bad decisions. Uh, when you're in church on Sunday, at the end of the service, you're getting up and you're going home. And what you do at that point may or not be affected by church. When you go to small group, uh, you're interacting. That's when you're talking and they're talking. You're not just listening. And you're sharing life events and struggles and hurts and triumphs. And that's where you really, bonds are built. Sin can be broken that way. And uh, life can be much more full when, like we say, when you're, when you're, when you're not alone. I think if you don't get in a group, um, coming to church becomes a, a box that you check. I did it for the week. Uh, I'm a good man. I'm holy. Granted, small group is a couple of hours, and you could argue that it's a small percentage of your week, but there you really interact and you put into practice both mentally and through speech and what you're learning and what you're sharing. And that's like, that's where the growth comes. That's where you become a better disciple. That's where you learn to reach out to people. Something triggers in your heart where you want to come to church and you want to come to small group and you want to serve people and make a difference. Having some godly men and some godly women talking about what it's like to have a godly husband. Uh, I don't know how to measure that. That was huge as far as 
becoming what I wanted to be, what my wife needs me to be, what my children need me to be.